Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. We are in a series where we're going through the book of Mark, and we're getting towards the end-ish. It's taken us a long time, but it's a good thing uh, because we're just walking through these conversations that Jesus has with people and these interactions and learning from them and beginning to see how people either respond to the gospel in really beautiful ways or take it and really run amok with it. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to see some stories, some illustrations of ways that Jesus comes in and speaks, but then people just use and abuse um, the gospel in really sad ways. And so if you have your Bible, if you want to open up, if not, I have it in the sermon notes. You can check it out uh, there and it'll also be on the screen. So we're in Mark chapter 14 and we're going to read one through nine. Um, and, uh, and then I'm going to ask you guys a question. So here we go. So it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We'll talk about what that is, and I'll I'll break it down a little bit. Um, And the chief priests and the scribes, so these are two, like you want to underline the first few characters that we're going to break down. Chief priests and scribes, they're seeking how to arrest by stealth, which is kind of a cool word, um, and kill him. Um, For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So, um, right off the bat, you have kind of an angry group of people that shouldn't be angry, that should be the farthest from being angry, trying to arrest and kill. They're just, they got a murder plot going on. So, and then it goes on in verse 3. It says, And while he was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, that's another character to underline, highlight, um, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves, there were, oh, sorry, there were some said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And now 2,000 years ago, or 2,000 years later, we're reading and and talking about her life and what happened in this scenario. So um, let's let's kind of break it down. Let's start out first with a question. I think that will give us some context to what's happening here to kind of like lead us to understanding kind of what what is Mark trying to tell us in this passage? And we'll look at the characters. um, We'll look at some ways to then apply this to our lives. and, And then we'll close it out. But first, many of you guys have heard of the hurricane that's caused a ton of damage in Florida, right? Um, and the people's lives that have been destroyed. And I've uh, watched the news and watched kind of stories of um, tragedy and how, how much 
like destruction can happen, which we are not familiar with at all in Southern California, right? Like we don't, maybe some of you guys have lived in places like that where you have hurricanes and storms and stuff like that, but we just don't get that kind of damage. And um, so I can't fully relate, but we understand wildfires, right? Um, but as I began to like watch these stories of people that were like using their lives to help others, um, it was pretty inspiring. Like you watch people that have a boat and they're taking a boat into like neighborhoods that are completely flooded up, you know, to the walls. Um, and people are sitting on their roofs waiting to be rescued. And they're taking their boat and going and picking people up, picking animals up. Um, I was just, it was inspiring to see that people like would think above and beyond just their own scenario, their own life and their own situation, right? And, um, and I began to think about that, that if, we had that kind of scenario happen here. If we had like a class four, class five hurricane come through and you had a few minutes to gather up whatever was most important to you, what would you do? Take a moment to think about that. Like what would you grab up? What would you snag that you think is super important to you right now um, and run? What would it be? Some of you have had to do that when we had wildfires, right, where you had to grab whatever, whatever's really important to you, pile it in your car, and go. And, um, and it, I think it raises a really good question when you have these kind of life scenarios about what's most important to us, right? Because then you start to go, well, I can't fill my car with everything. I got 10 minutes, and I need to get out of here. So what am I getting? And, um, and I think it, it, it raises a good question of like what we value, where our value is. And I think that's what we begin to see as we read this passage um, and as we unpack this, that we see this woman who's poured out very, very expensive ointment, very expensive perfume on Jesus, and then is scolded for it. Um, it speaks to what she values, all right? And we're going to unpack that a little bit. We're going to spend some time talking about it because I think it's... Um, it's got a lot to tell us about the church and about how we live as Christians um, and how we engage with the gospel. And so um, this, that little lit, lit, litmus test of like, what would you grab? Um, I think it helps us hone in on what's important to us, what's valuable to us. And as I mentioned, as I began to see people using their boat to go pick up other people, you could tell where their heart was. Their heart was for people not possessions. Like, they could really care less. They're like, that stuff can be replaced. Um, but they cared about the people that needed to be rescued and helped, helped um, in that um, scenario. And so um, I, I just share that to kind of give us some kind of direction as to where we're going with this and how to begin to frame these passages and begin to allow it to speak to our lives. Um, so we're going to look at these individuals, um, and we're going to start out with the first individuals that we're introduced to by Mark is the priests and the scribes. And the priests and the scribes, the very first thing we, we hear about them is they're plotting to kill Jesus. This goes completely against what they should be doing as leaders in that community, right? And it also tells us that they're preparing for Passover, of all things. And so you might just read that and you go, oh, it's Passover. It's some kind of celebration. Passover celebration was to celebrate freedom from slavery, right? Passover was meant to be a reminder of how God showed up in their lives, how God intervened in a powerful way to set his people free from slavery. 
and they're plotting to kill, right? So like, wait, 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 this big celebration that we have that reminds us of God's freedom and how beautiful God is and his love for his people, we should be preparing for this feast, but no, we don't want to like disrupt all of that, so let's just plot as to how we're going to like get him arrested and killed subtly behind the scenes. Do you see the, the irony in that and like the, the contrast of what's going on and how crazy that is? Um, Mark continually in, these, in his gospel points us back to recognizing what is most important. And these priests, these scribes have completely lost what is most important. And when we talk about where their value is, what does that tell you? They're about to celebrate freedom they're about to celebrate God's provision in their lives, God's beautiful act in their lives, and they're out to kill. What does that tell you about what they value? We're going to hit back on that in a little bit as we kind of unpack this passage a little more. But then we have this very extravagant display of this woman who pours out this ointment, um, this ointment that would have been super valuable, which we're going to talk about here in a second, but um, and the disciples' response is, that's wasteful. It's wasteful to do what you just did. The disciples, and it doesn't say Judas, but one of the beautiful things that we have is that we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we can read the same story from another vantage point. And when you read it from the other vantage point, which is, this is kind of a cool thing to do, that anytime you read a passage, sometimes there'll be footnotes that you can reference and go read the other you know, versions of the story um, that fill in some detail sometimes. Some of the gospel readers will leave things out. Some will add in. Um, and that's really just if we all you know, shared a story about what happened today of what it looked like for you to sit in church, it would all be a little bit different. Some of you would hone in on different facts and the, some of you would hone in on other things. And so that's what we have. And so the beauty of that is we find out that Judas is the one that is part of this audience, part of the disciples, that are sitting here scolding this woman for her extravagant generosity towards Jesus. Why this is important, let's, let's get into it. So first of all, the scolding that happens here would have been like the ultimate shaming of somebody within a group the ultimate example of shaming. And, and many, of, many of us are familiar with that. Like we see it in our culture, the shaming that happens uh, on social media in so many different ways where there's shaming for somebody not understanding something. And so we will really quickly either cancel them, shame them, like what's wrong with you? You're doing it different than I would do it. And so you're, you're basically removed. And that's what the disciples are doing. So we see here... Um, this, this group that has this deep under, misunderstanding of what's happening in this moment, right? Um, and Judas is part of that. And in John chapter 12, we see the same story, um, and we see a little detail. So check this out. The detail hopefully will stand out to you. He said this. So this is the response to Jesus, what he tells them for, like, he basically sticks up for the woman. He said this, not because he cared about the poor, talking about Judas, uh, this is Judas, um, a response to Judas, what he says, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself 
to what was put in it. So we got a guy who's judging this woman for being extremely generous uh, towards Jesus, this extreme generosity towards worship, towards Jesus and who he is, an extreme value, right? This judgment takes place by someone who had been stealing from the money bag that these disciples, as they journeyed uh, with Jesus, they didn't really like, stay anywhere. They would continue to travel. Um, but there was people that financially supported them. He was stealing out of the money bag because he was the one, he was kind of like the treasurer. He was the one in charge of it. So the guy who's most vocal about the generosity of this woman is actually the one that is the most hypocritical and is the one that is actually stealing from what's going on there. Judas cared more about money than he did worship. And it's clearly displayed by how he shames this woman, right? The cost of the perfume we get into was, uh, it said 300 denarii, um, which would have been, or 300 days wage, um, which when I looked it up, the modern equivalent would have been, like if you look at the median income across the United States is $44,225. And some of you are like, wow, that's way below where I'm at or that's way above where I'm at and just made me thankful that I have a wife that has a really good job. Um, but um, as I began to look at that, I was like, you could probably average out a little bit less but um, because of 300 days, it's not 365. But the value of this perfume like, put that into modern perspective, is a lot. It's a lot. It's more than most of the cars we all drive. And it's thrown at Jesus' feet. Like, she doesn't want it in return. Like, this would have been perfume that would have been used on, it says, either for burial or it would have been given as a gift for a, for a wedding day, right? So the extreme value that that is poured out for Jesus. Um, we have to understand that kind of like extravagant generosity. And when you see Judas and you see everyone else shaming her for it, I want to say, yeah, they're wrong, and it's easy to be on the side of, man, like, what's wrong with these guys? They don't get it. They're not listening to Jesus. They don't understand. But I began to put myself in those shoes that if someone walked in right now and said, I'm going to give you $44,225 to make an art piece that just demonstrates the love of God for all people, do you think we as a church might reconsider? Like, we have a lot of other bills we could pay, right? We could justify it in some other way, the same way they said. We should give that to the poor. We should be serving Oceanside with that. We should be doing something extremely generous for whoever really needs it, because Jesus doesn't really need it. But Jesus' response is like, no, she's, she's doing the right thing. Like, why are you shaming her for her extreme act of worship and generosity towards me? He's like, you will have the poor with you forever, but you will not always have me. And in this moment, we learn Jesus values the poor. I could list off for 10 minutes probably passages and, and preach on Jesus' approach to the poor, right? The widow, the orphan, he's all about it. Like, we don't need to have that discussion. We all know that. He values it. But he also says, this woman is recognized where true worship is, where the source of all of that generosity lies, 
where the true love should exist, that your source for love for others is driven by your love for Jesus. So when we talk about $44,225, I think if I gave that to the church board and said, we have to do something very loving and kind, but it can't be to the poor and it can't be to this, we'd probably like find a way to justify it in another way, right? And we'd probably do the same thing that Judas is doing or the same thing that the disciples were like, yeah, that's not cool. We could use that for better things. And you just want to do a piece of art? You'd be like, no, 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 no. Let's use it for, for things that can be justified, right? Um, and so we see Jesus emphasize worship, worship of God. And I think this is valuable because this kind of moves us into the kind of solution of like the heart posture that we have. What this tells us is where do we hitch our wagon, so to speak? Because if we hitch our wagon on social justice, then that isn't, it's missing the gospel aspect of it, the thing that truly transforms life. And that's what Jesus, I think, does in this moment, is helps them see that their hearts were more about, like, the task that was at hand rather than why you do that task. Does that make sense? So we don't love the poor and take care of the poor just because, like, it's a good thing to do to pat myself on the back and be awesome. It's because God loves those people deeply. God is passionate about those people. And so what Jesus does in that moment is says, like, she's hitched her wagon to the source of love and generosity, extreme, extravagant generosity. She's hitched her wagon to the source, the engine that drives why we feed the poor, why we take care of the widow, the orphan. Um, and, and we see this um, spelled out when Jesus talks about in Matthew 11. Um, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he hits here over and over is his teaching, his yoke. A yoke is where you hitch yourselves to whatever you're, you're doing. So like if uh, back in the day when, uh, when a plow was being pulled, it was hitched to steer, cattle, whatever, and they were yoked together and they would work together to accomplish the task of tilling the field or whatever it is. What he says is we have an invitation to essentially hitch up, hook up with Jesus, attach our wagon to Jesus, and go the direction that he goes. Accomplish the things that he's called us to accomplish, to till the field, to work the soil, to plant the seeds, to do all those things, to transform the community that we live in, to be generous people who love and take care of um, the poor. Um, but that happens because we're connected, we're yoked to Jesus. And he says it's his, his yoke is easy, right? That as we do those things, as we love people, it's going to become a natural thing that we do because we're working alongside Jesus. And, uh, and so he says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me. Learn from me the ways of loving people. And the disciples, the audience that is sitting here that is shaming this woman, they've got, they've got the order wrong. Their order is about following rules um, in the same way that the priests 
and the scribes had their order wrong, what do you think that their wagon was hitched to? Let's come back to that one. What do you think that the scribes and the priests had their wagon hitched to? Their trust, their faith was not in God. Their trust and faith was in maintaining their leadership, right? Because why would you want to kill somebody who threatens your leadership? Because you're about to lose out on, the. we talked about a few weeks ago, the seats of prestige, right? The financial gain that the priests had by working the temple. And so what Jesus is doing, he's disrupting all of that. And so they're like, we need to get rid of him because we want to maintain, we need to keep our wagon hitched to this pride that we have, this comfort that we have, like the authority that we have over people, all of that stuff. They were trying to protect that. That's the only reason they would want to kill Jesus. He threatens that. And so we hitch our pride, on, or we hitch our wagons on all kinds of stuff that, that doesn't matter. And so there's a few examples of that we see here. And I just, I think it raises the question of like, where is my wagon hitched to? Like, what am I, what's leading me? Daily, moment by moment, right? Um, and we can all think of ways that maybe we're distracted with other things that lead us down the wrong road. And, um, and so this invitation that Jesus brings is to faithful worship that this woman displays, this faithful worship that has extravagant generosity, $44,225 worth of extravagant generosity. How crazy is that? And really what we see here, again, going back to that illustration of like what we value, if we had to bail out of our houses within 10 minutes, what would we grab? What are the things that we would value? And it ultimately answers this question of what do we worship? And worship is defined by you worship what you love. So if you love, like for me, if it was I'm going to be grabbing my surfboards or whatever, like, that means I just love my surfboards. But if I'm going to grab my kids, that means I love my kids, right? <laughs> Hopefully I'm grabbing my kids as I run out um, and not a surfboard. That would be embarrassing. Um, but what do we value, you know? Like, where is our value placed? What are the things that we really love and care for and make sure end up into the vehicle when we're running away from a fire or a hurricane? Um, what we love will define what we do with our lives. And this woman has displayed where her love is. Her love is completely in Jesus. She understands where her value is, and her value is completely centered in Jesus. Um, how do we begin to do this? I want to give us some like real tangible ways to step into this as we close. Um, I think as we begin to look at what we value, if you look at your, your week, your calendar, your schedule every single day, I could probably tell you the things you value. Um, if you begin to look at these three things, these categories that I try and use as a filter in my own life of like where my love is, um, is my time, and this is three T's, I know it's cheesy, but it's time, talent, and treasure. Um, those three things will let you know kind of where your love is where your focus is, what you emphasize, what you value. Um, and, and so what I would say is begin to look at 
where do you spend your time, the most amount of time? How do you spend that time? Because we can spend our time doing things uh, that can seemingly be detracting from our love for God, or they can also be used for love for God. And so what do I mean by that is, for me, uh, many of you guys know that I love spearfishing and, uh, or even surfing, and, and those things can be things that if, and they were in times, things that I worship that I cared too much about, but they can also be things that are a way of worshiping God, that through the relationships that I have through surfing and through spearfishing, relationships are built that point towards God. And I have lists of conversations um, with people as I was surfing or as I was spearfishing um, that talk about faith and that talk about where people are in their faith journey. And, and so when we talk about time and when we talk about our treasure and our talents and the gifts that God's given us, those can be used um, for the kingdom. And I think sometimes we will detract from those things and say, well, I can't. Surfing can't be an act of worship. And a lot of people will say that. And they'll just be like, well, it's not. How's that at worship? And I was like, well, I'm out in creation. I'm like recognizing God. And so it has more to do with a posture than it does what you're doing, right? Um, obviously, there's limits to that. But as you step into parts of life, begin to question, am I worshiping God through my work, through my job, Right? Um, because I believe that all of life is spiritual and God is in the midst of all of it, um, through the way that I interact with my children during the week, through the way that I, um, I have sports, hobbies, um, things that I'm passionate about, all of those things can be saturated with God. Um, but there has to be space where there is margin, where you are literally doing things just to sh- like worship God. And I believe that margin is one of those things that don't ex- doesn't exist in our culture. Um, we're like a hustle culture that just like wants to produce and get stuff done and we got a lot, of, a lot to achieve and don't be lazy and don't do anything. And really what Judas and the disciples shame her for is extravagant love that we would say nowadays is lazy, um, you're not productive, you could have done amazing things with that $44,225, you know, it's like there's all these things that could have been done but Worship and sitting and just being at God's feet is left out, right? Or is shamed or is not considered valuable. I'm going to throw an image on the screen that I think points to margin. And in this last minute before I close, I want you to just look at this piece of art. Because I mentioned art as being something that some people will say, why would you spend $44,225 on art? I'm with you, okay, but I'm learning. When I sit and reflect on a piece of art, it speaks to me. When I sit and meditate on scripture that God's given to me and put on my heart, the Lectio journals that we've been going through, you could see that as useless time where you're not achieving all the things that you need to achieve on your checklist, or you could see that as the most valuable time the margin that you leave in your day to say, God's got me. There's probably layers to this piece of art by Scott Erickson um, that may speak to you. The reminder that we need rest. The reminder that we don't have to row all the time. 
the boat's already in the destination. It's not going anywhere. Right? There's layers to this that if you sat and reflected on this piece of art for a while, and I'll throw it on the website if you want to check it out, or if you just want to go look at his stuff, um, you can look him up. But there's something about sitting and being generous with our time, being generous towards God, recognizing that Jesus wants to transform us from the inside out. And he can't do that if we're just constantly hustling and rushing and busy and doing all these things, you know, being productive, like they say, you know, like we could have used that to feed the poor and we could be out doing amazing stuff and crazy ministry that could change the world. But no, we're going to, we're going to stop. We're going to pour out extravagant generosity towards Jesus. And my prayer is that you would have time this week to do that. That as we started doing Lectio Divina journals, that that's one piece in doing that. That if you do one minute a day, that's way better than the zero minutes you did last week, right? And if you do 10 minutes, it's way better than the one minute you did the week before. So like, let's just continue to build that in with no shame. There is zero shame. Because I hope that's the bigger takeaway that we see here is we should never be shaming each other for anything. Um, but encouraging one another that this is where life is found. This is where we begin to thrive when we have these margins in our life. And that's what Jesus praises because when we sit and we recognize where our wagon is attached to, we start to go, oh, you know what? He's actually pulling me along. Like, he has me in his hands. And he has my finances in his hands. He has my family, my everything. And then I can just, my tight shoulders can relax, right? I need to do that sometimes. I get tight shoulders. I get stressed out. I need to relax and just go, you know what? Let's sit at Jesus' feet. Because what he wants to do and where he's going to take us happens only on his strength. The kind of extravagant generosity that he really wants to begin to do through us um, happens on his strength, not our own. Um, and so I want to close with Psalm 139 to begin to assess and reflect and look inward and say, where do I have space to begin to do this? Um, I think it starts with watching, uh, I think, what captures our attention. And I think Psalm 139 does this. And then we'll close with prayer. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. So if there are anxious thoughts in you, that's probably something you worship or something you really care about deeply that maybe you've elevated higher than Jesus. Point out anything in me that offends you. So there might be, again, when we worship other things, that offends Jesus, where he's just like, you're caught up in stuff that does not matter. We talked about that last week. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Like, ah, oh, that's the breath of fresh air that we get in the gospel and what Jesus invites us into. This new life, everlasting life. Life that he says in John 10.10, 10, to the full, like the most abundant life that you can imagine. This is what he desires for us. But it requires us to assess our lives and reflect on what do we worship? What do we care about more? I hope that we're not in the drastic priest-scribe phase where we're trying to kill people over our faith but, and to maintain our, our situation. But maybe it's more subtle like the disciples that are like, 
Yeah, what's wrong with you? We could use that for the poor. It's a good argument. We have a lot of good arguments, but are we willing to sit and just be at Jesus' feet? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this reminder um, that we can just, we can rest at your feet. Um, that sure, there's ministry to the poor and to others and, and calling that we all have, um, tasks that you've given us throughout the week, all kinds of things. But Lord, we recognize that our strength lies in you and it starts with you. And that when we begin to recognize what is most valuable, then we have the strength to operate in that. And so give us the strength that only comes from you and your Holy Spirit uh, as we go into the rest of this day and this week. Help us to operate out of your strength and recognizing that you are of infinite worth, that we want to completely center life around you, Jesus, the same way this woman did. Forgive us of the areas where we shame others for not doing enough or for sitting at your feet quietly and resting. Um, we just, we want your heart, God. And so work through us in your name. Amen.